Welcome to the opportunity for a personal spiritual growth experience with the Sue Curran Podcast, a podcast all about leading you into understanding the ways and heart of God. Pastor Sue shares from her decades of experience as a founding pastor, author, teacher, and world missionary. The goal is that you receive practical spiritual insights that you can apply to your life at home, church, and place of business. And now, your host, Dr. Sue Curran. I'm very happy, Harry, that your destiny has brought you to the place where you are able to be influential through writing and through television appearances, through advising some very important people that we know. And I've been looking over the list of the books that you have written, especially considering the ones that you've written on racism. That is such a hot topic. I want to make sure that among the things we talk about, that we be sure that we talk about racism, because I consider you to be somewhat of an expert in the study about it. Your most recent book will be out in August, is that correct? That is just a month from now, a little more than a month, and I'm excited about it because racism is such an incendiary term. Yes. And uh, so instead of just saying, this is racist, this is wrong, and this is where we messed up. We offer some practical guides for the body of Christ to be an intermediary for the justice of God. One of my endorsers is Dr. Tony Evans. Yes. And uh, he was at a meeting uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that I shared in. And I talked about righteousness and justice as being the foundation of God's throne. Yes. And the idea is only the church can create that foundation of righteousness, right standing, covenant relationship with God out of a born again experience, and then create justice. I believe that righteousness and justice were in the heart of God, it was God's dream. Yes. And that's who God is. You know, uh, Harry, the first time I was aware that you were so involved uh, in this arena, I just happened to see you on the Bill O'Reilly program. <laughs> and I said, I think that's my friend, yeah. Harry Jackson. And then not too long ago, uh, I saw you in the Oval Office. I believe you were reading a scripture and uh, praying. I like that very much to think that some of my friends with whom I have prayed and we've studied together, walked together really for a number of years as we were in that minister's fellowship together for a number of years. And um, to see to see you, Harry, uh, there with the president, I thought, oh, this is so comforting to me because I know that you're after the same things that the Lord has shown us are so important. And I know that you would speak your heart as to what, to the president, as to what you feel is going to turn this thing the way it needs to be turned. I suppose that he's been receptive to you. Well, he has been, I'll say it to you this way. I really believe that I've been given liberty to speak my heart and mind to him, but I've been very careful 
to shape my thoughts, my words around the word of God versus just, you know, fat, flat, fast, flashing or passing human impulse. Yes. Um, and there's been a lot of back and forth uh, against the White House. And I will say this about President Trump. I believe that he is a man of courage who if he sees something and he sees it as right versus wrong, he's the kind of guy who will want to fix what's fixable. Not day for two weeks from now or two months from now, but in the now, while he has power, authority, he'll take action. And I've seen him work out things such as uh, criminal justice reform. Uh, many people didn't want to work with him uh, on this from Democratic side. I believe that that is one of the two major civil rights issues of our generation, uh, that people who have made mistakes, done time, once they get out, years ago they couldn't vote, couldn't find a place to live, couldn't get retrained, and then those guys often are forced into like an underground society of criminals, and the recidivism or the return to prison rate is high. Yes. And I believe that was destabilizing so many in the lower rungs of the black community and preventing people from getting a second chance. So I admire that. And I also saw the Opportunity Zones. There's much involved with that. But I myself have been in conversation with and strategic involvement with HUD about communities being developed and churches getting involved to say, hey, why can't the government, businesses, and houses of faith work together to win souls, reform lives, and upgrade tough communities that in times past, those would be the neighborhoods we just drive around and nobody ever goes through there uh, because they've got a horrible uh, crime rates and problems. Uh, this is an opportunity for a lift. So I, I've been impressed with that aspect of President Trump. And for me, I feel like many of my friends who are Christians, they forget the prophetic stance. Uh, David had two prophets. They often privately confronted the ruler of the kingdom, if you will. Yes. But I think that they were assigned to the man. And um, it's not always about political endorsement or not. It's about a commitment to pray and intercede. And, you know, we can prophesy with our eyes open and sometimes without shaking and trembling. Yes. 
So it's been, Sue, it's been an amazing journey. That Good Friday prayer was initiated by the president. He invited me to come in on the Wednesday, which was the beginning of Passover. Mm-hmm. And I got into the COVID test. Obviously, it was negative. And uh, I was going to go in. And uh, he asked me to come in and talk to him. He and Mike Pence for a few minutes. And I went in and talked to him. And he said, you know, it would be more appropriate, if you don't mind, I hate to waste your day. But you could you come back on Good Friday two days from now? And he says, Good Friday is probably a more appropriate time for us to have you pray a national word of prayer and me to make some remarks as we're dealing with all these problems, the pandemic. Would that be okay? And so I was able in that moment to thank him for including churches and religious organizations in the PPP package. Yes. And he he pointed to Pence. He said, well, really, that's Mike Pence's baby. (laughs) He did all the work behind the scenes on that. Uh, And it was good. And so I said, well, guys, thank you. It really means a lot because typically in times past, churches like ours just outside of D.C. would be looked over. We would be in a few weeks uh, in a place where we'd have to think about who you keep on staff, do you downsize or not, whatever. Yes. And to treat us like real contributors to the community, which we are. Yes. Uh, was I thought an amazing thing. Yeah. So I came back Good Friday. Go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking about only more recently in the past several months, I read an article about uh, how Donald Trump's mother was uh, strongly exposed to a real revival in the Hebrides where um, parents, grandparents, and these people were exposed to what a revival lifestyle would have been like. And they had such tremendous respect for the word of God and then regular prayer. And you and I know, Harry, that when people really have a move of the spirit of God, you're impacted by it for the rest of your life, really. I rather have a sense that his exposure to his mother and to those things that they believe uh, formed a backdrop from some of his thought where he so strongly respects the word of God and and he he respects the church. And those two things have helped us tremendously, haven't they? They really have. He sees himself as a defender of the church. And uh, I believe that his basic conviction coming to office was that he was ordained to take that position. And I believe that the Calvinistic concept of preordination, 
predestination. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like you're saying, the black, black church, if it's for you, it's for you. <laughs> and so I think when he ran, he just simply believed yeah. that he was destined to go to the highest office of the land and there to defend something, to yes. do something. Mm -hmm. And along, I've got many stories I could tell you uh, about how he came upon, and I've heard him tell these stories personally with small group of people, how he came upon his support of Israel. I don't know if you ever heard this story or not, but a friend of mine, who I'll remain nameless, reached out to one of his friends, and he was candidate Trump then, and they called him up, and they introduced this friend of mine, I'm gonna call him the Nameless Prophet. Mm -hmm. And the Nameless Prophet said, I believe that you will win the presidency of the United States if you support Israel and you're getting ready to go into a meeting of conservative Jewish people and uh, if you will add something about being a defender of Israel, supporting them, I will believe ahead of Ted Cruz, they'll give you a standing ovation and you'll pull out in front. And wow. so they talked about what defending Israel looked like. He went back and forth and what I heard him say in the Oval Office, by the way, at a time of receiving later an award, he said, in my New York background, the Hasidic Jewish community and others often were tensions with Christian community and other folk right there in New York. He said, I never understood that evangelical uh, Christians uh, had such respect and reg high regard for the Jewish community. And uh, so that exchange happened by the phone. Some, the gentleman, the nameless prophet, wrote up uh, a little paragraph, actually several, about Israel, about what standing with them means, including moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Believe it or not, this all came in one idea, and it was agreed upon that it was gonna be faxed. So I heard President Donald Trump himself say, I listened, I was informed, he said, now, obviously, I knew all about uh, the connection with Christians and Jews. Now, obviously, I understand the spiritual importance of Israel. Now, obviously, so he goes through what he learned and how he had journeyed. And he said, but that day I didn't know it. And they sent me a piece of paper and I looked over it, read over it, I understood it. I was interested 
in this aspect of New Testament Christianity. And he said, so I put it in my briefcase. He put it in with the notes from his speech that he was about to give at a huge gathering of conservative Jewish people in Washington, D.C. So guess what happened? On the day of the speech, he is getting ready to talk. He begins to move with the pre-prepared information. He got to the highlight of the point. His own words were, he said, I pulled out those notes. I read over them again, and I simply began to declare what I had come to understand just a few days ago. And I declared that I was going to be a champion for Israel. Wow. And the response was the people stood up, they clapped, standing <laughs> on Israel. And then he said, wow. And he went back and studied, researched. You know, his son-in-law is Jewish. Yes. And uh, Jared Kushner. And he's always had a respect uh, for that branch of their family, obviously. And um, after the moving of the embassy, we could say, and the rest became history. Yes. But what a story. So I've seen him on many, too many occasions to actually articulate, be moved in his heart by something that had its origin in the word of God and anointed for a moment to impact him. And once he recognized that this is like standing for truth. Now I'm not trying to claim the man's perfect. I'm not telling you that. I'm not trying to make some bigger deal out of that. But I do see the amazing view of him of Isaiah 45 that he's a, a Cyrus-like figure. Yes. And someone who recognized, maybe through the story that you gave, and that Bible that came to him as a child, Yes. realized that someday he was supposed to make a stand for the church. Yes. I believe he believes that with all his heart. Well, see, that's, that's tremendous. And and I believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and even though he himself, being an imperfect person, still the Holy Spirit can often communicate things to us that will then affect um, the will of God. Because the Holy Spirit is all about getting the will of God accomplished. Now, Thank you for sharing that with our audience. Uh, that's just very worthwhile. And to know that we have such a personable president in office that he really wants to communicate with those of you that have had exposure and experiences. And he obviously respects the power of prayer and knows his need of it. And as the story you just gave us there, he's teachable, but is so absolutely valuable. So I figured that when you wrote this uh, most recent book called 
a manifesto, Christian America's um, <clears throat> contract with minorities. That is such a fascinating title, Harry. And, you know, let me say it like this. So many people haven't known what's going on and now don't know what to do. I, I remember a while back, a friend of mine in the ministry lives in this area telling me that in Greenville, Tennessee, not very far from me, that her uncle had made out a will. She read his will in which he had uh, willed his boy, he called him, and his wench, he called the woman. And he had actually willed them as part and parcel of an inheritance that he could leave. Well, I guessed because I didn't know that. I know that people think that perhaps we Southerners do know all about this and won't admit it. I really don't know. And didn't I didn't know. I know a lot more now than I used to. And now we need to understand as Christians how we can walk, how we can help each other, and most of all, how we can think. We need to, of course, repent for uh, areas where we have been so ridiculously ignorant. You know, one of the words that I received, Harry, when I first came in the ministry, and I've received it more than once, a prophetic word came to me that the Lord uh, would give me favor with dark-skinned people. And I have ministered in so many other countries, not just black, which there have been a lot, but also Indian and other dark-skinned people. I know that's a part of my calling. So I cherish those relationships. But I would wondered if you would just tell us for a moment, as you brought this book, The Manifesto, into being, what sort of contract do you feel that we need to make so that this race thing can really come to a place of peace and where we can walk together and work together and be free from the bondages of the past. Is that too much of a question at one time? <laughs> no, I've got a very simple answer. Okay. And I'm going to say it to you this one. Simple answer is this. America's original sin, in my view, has to do with bringing slaves to Virginia, Jamestown, yes. area, uh, in 1619, and 400 years and one year ago. And there's a precedence in the Bible for a nation being judged in 400 years. Israel, according to Genesis 15, was sent into Egypt. The prophetic word that came uh, simply said that to Abraham, that his nation would go into slavery and after 400 years it would come out. We remember Joseph was in a time of favor and was the high man. And then something happened, there was fear and there was uh, abuse of the Israelites. In America, we reached 400 years, but unlike Egypt, I believe that God is going to refashion our nation instead of destroying. Egypt was at the pinnacle and it was ungodly, it was 
idol worshipers, all kinds of spiritual and occult worship, it became destroyed. And in a sense, the children of Israel were, uh, what would you call it, excised or expelled from Egypt in order to find their own promised land. That being said, I believe we're going to see Reformation. Several facts you didn't know, then I'll tell you this, this contract very quick. Uh, facts you won't know, and most people don't. I came across it, I got this urge and uh, calling to write this book. 2020, 18 year old kids and under, America is becoming this year a majority minority country. <laughs> 18 years old to down to zero, newborns, there are more blacks plus Hispanics plus Asian Island Pacific uh, Islander than white. In 2040, adults will be majority minority. So the question becomes, are we going to have race riots? Are we going to have problems? Or are we going to have a Christian-based agenda or worldview that can unify and bring people together? I came across the, this information and I said, why not? Hispanics are largely religious. Black folks are known to be religious. We have Asian Islanders or Asian Pacific Islanders, including nations like India, etc. Large numbers of Christians so the idea is only the Bible could unify these ethnically distinctive groups. And maybe there's an agenda. Instead of looking at life in terms of left versus right, as we started out talking, what if righteousness and justice? Yes. In the foundation of God's throne. What if we thought about the people who live the Bible could create an atmosphere of justice. So white evangelicals historically believe that biblical justice, or I should say righteousness, happens by making sure that abortions don't happen, being against things like same-sex marriage, being against gambling. There's a bunch of in a sense, laws of righteousness or things based on the Ten Commandments. That's great. But many, many African-Americans, Hispanics and others, they've been viewing the political, moral atmosphere of the nation through the lens of their pain of injustice. So they're looking, I'm covering one eye, through a lens of justice if you guys, as, as Americans, are really Christian, where's the justice? Yes. Where, where's the help for the poor? Why are you dehumanizing people? The Bible does not say justice or righteousness. It says righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And yes. A country 
that has a government, Romans 13, that leads for the good of the people is a moral upright government. Governments that take advantage of people, abuse people are not good. So I'm only saying the only group on the planet that can create an atmosphere of the kingdom of God's agenda is the church. Yes. Jesus said in the last days that ethnic groups, nation will rise against nation. That's part of the end time. That's an almost irrevocable prophecy, except that the great apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond or free, there's neither male or female. We know there's male or female, but what we understand Paul to be saying is that the unity in Christ that we have supersedes and creates a higher level bond that creates kingdom synergy. And with that kingdom viewpoint and synergy, we can come together on the Bible. Now, if we have the time, I can give you an acrostic. There are nine letters that spell out empowered. It will take me less than a minute to give you these nine letters. Please do. And the whole idea, yeah, so the whole idea of the book is this. Amen. E stands for education reform. M stands for marriage as a strategy, meaning we can rebuild culture just as Abraham did by, he threw his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So educational reform, marriage as a strategy, P stands for public policy, such as criminal justice reform. They're key policies that will help minorities get out of a ditch, get a new life. O stands for oversight and not engage in the proper representative government. So the oversight would be minorities say, we're going to get engaged, we're going to get on the platform committees, we're going to vote. W stands for wealth creation. Did you realize that 76% of whites have enough wealth that the average amount of money passed on in the next generation because of a house is $156,000 versus three, $4,000. If I give someone a job, I give them a sense of a God-given purpose. Yes. And if I can create jobs in a Christian organization, I can, as an entrepreneur, help people come out of welfare and problems into an amazing place. R stands for, again, the idea that I want to have righteousness and justice as a mindset. And I go through there about different ideas about how you balance that and some practical ways of dealing with that. And I tell a story 
of a lady who was the first black woman released, she was the first woman, period, from the first step act, the criminal justice reform. She should have done 20 years without bail, got out after 15. I and about four other churches, four total churches, we got her clothes, a house, or not a house, clothes, a car, and with under $1,000 per church, we gave this free lady a new lease on life. She got a job at Walmart. She's making a difference in her world. Wonderful. Then the, it really is. So we can do that just by two, three churches, given what is just a benevolence fund offering. The next E stands for empathy versus retaliation. We know part of the pain of any minority has to deal with having to release, forgive, etc. But I believe it goes beyond just simple forgiveness. It's having an empathy for all humankind, empathy even for others who have hurt us. And then D, the final letter, is that dignity and destiny for all human beings. That's really what we want to do. So those nine le letters say, this is what it means to be empowered. And there are 10 chapters in the book. And we simply use analogy of my family when I was growing up, driving from Cincinnati, Ohio, where I was raised, down to Norfolk, Virginia every summer, and how we, the kids, my brother and I, grew up, we started driving, Later on, we made decisions about where the family would go in the summers. Early on, we drove together to learn the family values. My parents would drop me off in my family, uh, uh, how should I say, houses. And we learned what it meant to be a Jackson by staying with our family and minorities who've come here are in a similar position as the children, riding along, now growing up, now becoming drivers, leaders, and destiny producers. And we will lead America in the path that we have been discipled in, if it's clear and simple like that acrostic Right. Every one of those nine things I talked about have ultimately a biblical base. They're simple, they're practical, they're workable. So we've got to make sure that the American dream is everybody's dream. Wow, this has been a fantastic conversation so far. Thank you so much for listening to the first part of my conversation with my special guests. Tune into episode two to hear the rest of our conversation. You've been listening to the Sue Curran Podcast. Join us next time as Dr. Curran shares more insights through interviews and teachings geared to help you grow in your relationship with the true and living God and function in a more productive and powerful way.